We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day. Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by Indeed and BetOnline.ag. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And the Lakers moved to 3-0 last night, beating the Phoenix Suns. And I want to talk about that second quarter. Something happened in that second quarter. Not only were the Lakers dominant, it was how they were dominant that really caught my attention. It was the first game where LeBron and AD played this preseason. And their first shift in that first quarter, they ended up going down 20 to 7. LeBron, they were they were getting some cardio in, right? Like they a little bit of a light jog and uh not much focus and intensity. But in that second quarter, what stood out to me was how they defended. Yeah. And that's something that I'm really going to keep an eye on this year. And I think we should do a whole podcast kind of as the team's defensive personality starts to develop. Because we've talked a lot about our excitement of what they can be on offense. But they're a different team defensively. But what stood out to me even beyond the X's and O's and this rotation and that is they locked in for most of that quarter and they chose to like LeBron's LeBron does these like stampede closeouts that always crack me up because they're so oppressive. He had this one to the corner that he's one of the great closeout guys in the league when he wants to be. And so, yeah, Lakers decided for maybe not the whole quarter, but like eight to 10 minutes. It was most of it, at least that we are going to lock up this new team, Darius. And that's what stood out to me is that this is a new team in the West with a great player in Chris Paul that joined them that has aspirations at least. Right. And so to me, that was a, we're just here to let you know that we can shut you down whenever we want to type of stretch to a new team. Right. That's got, that's got hope. I don't know. There's maybe I'm, I'm overthinking it, but there's a psychological component of, right. You got this new squad and, and we, we've decided that you are not going to score for eight minutes or much at all. And then on the other one, we're going to stampede in transition. I don't know, Darius, that was a significant second quarter to me uh, in that respect. What did you see in that stretch? The defense for sure, man, was 
it just went up five or six or seven levels. Braun and AD in the early part of the game, the you mentioned sort of like, oh, the cardio, or whatever. They also look just sloppy, right? And so you mentioned like focus or whatever, but there were even like ball handling miscues. LeBron went to a spin move and lost the ball, which is something that never happens. AD had sort of a grab and go, but it wasn't really a go. It was just, I've got the rebound. Everyone else can get up court and I'm just going to bring the ball up and then he tried like one of his patented little like crossover moves near the half court line and just dribbled it like off his foot. Right. So there was plenty of that early. And so the gulf in difference that we saw between not only their intensity, but their execution of what they wanted to do. And that locking in that, that you described was just massive. That was just a massive difference. And What stood out to me wasn't just LeBron and AD. It was also Gasol always being in the right place. It was Schroeder really using his quickness. There were, it was the complementary pieces who really slid right in to what you would anticipate are their strengths and being able to to fit with the overall mentality of what last year's team was with what you would want to see from this year's team. And yes, a lot of that was LeBron and AD being like the Uber athletes that were on the back end. Um, LeBron had two great closeouts, one to the left corner and one to the right corner. One, one, he also just got in a deep defensive stance and was really like jabbing at the ball when he was guarding Mikel Bridges. And it was sort of like, And Bridges looked a little panicked, like, oh, my goodness, let me pass this ball as quick as I possibly can. And AD was just flying around. And it was, oh, my goodness, these guys have it. They have that level in them. And to see it in the first game where all these guys was were available was a sight to me. And I did not expect it was was it a surprise to you, Mike, to sort of see them sort of get to a level that you would probably expect within the first month of the regular season, but to see it in the first preseason game of Braun and AD being on the floor. The reason it wasn't as much of a surprise guys is LeBron and AD watched the first two games and then they watched how the second unit came in and immediately picked things up defensively from how they started the game, which, you know, first five minutes was just, all right, let's get our feet wet. Oh, wait, where's Shooter going to be? Oh, what? Oh, Marcus all he's on the court now. Okay. Wait, what, where, what, what am I going to do with this? And it was just, they were just kind of going through the motions and Phoenix was, came out pretty tight, but LeBron and AD haven't gone, gone back to the bench. And then again, having watched how well the Lakers played, how they kind of used the ethos on the defensive end that they established last season. I thought they, they, when they checked back in, they weren't going to do that again. And that's when you saw. So LeBron, AD, Gasol return and, you know, shooter to a different extent. And okay. Yeah. There, there's, there are the Lakers again in that context. And it's such a, the thing that stood out to me the most aside from that and Pete to kick it back to you here was that two of their key guard rotation players, uh, including one starter, KCP and Alex Caruso didn't play. And they just plug Kuz right in. He looks great. They plug Wesley Matthews in off the bench and give THC a bigger role. And no problem. And I, I don't think there are, this kind of goes back to our last pod, right? With the three through 10 thing in the rotation. I don't think there are many teams that can lose a legit three and D kind of wing starter. And then one of the most important bench pieces, and then just be totally fine for a game. And and it, it leads me Pete back to our theory from if you want to cobble our last several pots together is that this team has a big margin for error and I don't see them as the type, the personality type to just uh, let games off and let games go by just because they won last year that, that there are too many guys that don't have that personality to me. Man, to that point, both Kuz and Mark missed a ton of chippies around the rim in that game uh, for and one opportunities or like Mark missed an open layup where it hit the rim, but they didn't see it. And it ended up being a 24 second violation, but it was an open layup. Right. And and so that margin for error, that ability to leave points on the floor, that ability to barely try the first six minutes of the game and then just turn it on to this level that it is 
is really remarkable and they're just scratching the surface a little bit later i want to talk about like schroeder darius you brought up defensively he's been ahead defensively of where he's been on the offensive end that was interesting to see the incorporation there he's he's the new guy that i'm most skeptical about right like his fit not his talent but his fit in what we do and defensively there's a speed and aggressiveness that we really saw help facilitate like one of the things that Schroeder does is he's so fast coming off of screens defensively that your catches get pushed out like two three feet farther than they normally do there were a couple of possessions where they tried to screen him but they couldn't So Danny Green last season and Wesley Matthews this season, and this was like a Derek Fisher trait as well. Wide shouldered sort of big chested dudes, right? Who basically they will absorb the screen with their shoulder and their elbow, and they will sort of rip through or pivot and get over the top and then recover back into their defensive stance to either get back pressure on you sit on your hip or or actually be able to maintain a defensive slide and not give up the gate right and when i say the gate i mean a full-on driving angle yeah what schroeder did on a couple of possessions was lift his hips and get over the top of the screen Mm. so that Mm -hmm. guys were missing him entirely and it's just like it's Sort of like um, Nightcrawler from X-Men, right? Like you like, <laughs> like you teleport a little bit because the guy and, – and it's sort of like watching boxing, right? Where like a really good movement boxer, like a guy is throwing punches from all angles and they're all just missing. And, and it's because – Cornell Whitaker, Floyd Mayweather, those type of guys. Yeah, the guys who are good in a phone booth. Right. And Schroeder showed some of that with his feet quickness and and quickness from his hips down to sort of say, like, no, you're not even going to get a piece of me. And getting over the tops of screens is such a key element to the Lakers defensive approach. Right. Because they play in a drop. And so if you're going to play in a drop, you better get over the top of that screen because you need that hip and back pressure in order to deter pull up jump shooters from just walking into open shots. And Schroeder, I thought, showed something on that end last night that I was like, huh, that's a key tool to have. We can use this as a way to talk about the defensive philosophy and what carries over from last season with the new players, I think, because after the game, I wanted to find out from Schroeder what he's been asked to do defensively. And so I asked him some variation of that question. And his answer sounded a lot like what a guard would have said on last year's team, where he said, I want to be super aggressive on the perimeter. I want to run guys off the three-point line. I want to pick up 94 feet uh, when applicable. And I want to make sure that I'm funneling you know, my guy towards where the rest of the defensive help is. And that's basically what Avery Bradley would do. You know, he that's basically what Caruso does um, to an extent that's uh, KCP does a little bit more sort of chasing guys around screens. And, you know, Danny Green did as well um, at that spot. But, you know, Schroeder, you can, I think, plug in and he fits right into that system. Wesley Matthews fits right into that system. Uh, Marcus Saul is much different from JaVale and Dwight in some ways, but he's so smart that he gets like, like he, you don't even get to the point where you're needing to come over and block a shot sometimes with Mark because he's already in the spot. So I actually find what, what I found from watching the, sun, the game against the Suns was once you put LeBron and AD into that mix and you just kind of piece the rest of the roster around them, it makes sense pretty quickly. And I wasn't, that's the part, Darius, where I wasn't sure all that would come together so quickly. But now the theory kind of makes sense when you think about it. No, Pete, Marcus he is going to be a key member of this defense this year. I have my thoughts as to what I've seen from him, but what did you see last night from Gasol, um, particularly as a position defender and as a rotator? Because I think those are going to be two of his higher level contributions defensively versus like the vertical shot blocker type. Yeah, being in in the right position and beating guys' spots, that's really the only way that he can defend at this point because he's not going to elevate and block shots. So you have to be good at that, and he is. But what stands out to me, and I think this is easier to see with the melts, right? Like the the cool 
packages from Spectrum is that he's a quarterback of the defense. He's talking all the time. And so it's not only a matter of him being put into the right position. It's a matter of him directing traffic in a way where Dwight was very good at that. JaVale, not as much, uh, but Dwight's more of a, a singular talent in that he he is a great defender individually who knows how to the, the five on five, the team and all of that. But Mark's just at a different level and a different level of talking and again, directing traffic. The reason why you're five and your big man is usually the quarterback of the defense is because everything's happening in front of him right? Your on-ball guard, he's relying on that five behind you to be like, you know, left, right, to that big behind him to call out the screen. That's one of the basic, you know, uh, responsibilities of that five defensively is to call out where's the screen coming from because the guard can't see it. And so Mark's not only doing that, though, he's calling out weak side actions while he's beating guys to the spot. So I know you'll you'll get into a lot of the individual elements of him rotating to the right spot. But what I see a lot is just a lot of the talking and the communication to tie it all together. There was a defensive possession that Steve Jones and he he does a lot of like trailblazers analysis, but he does a lot of general NBA stuff too. Um, he's actually the snappers son, Steve uh-huh. Snapper Jones. Yeah, he's great. He's great. He is great as a Twitter follow. Please go out there and follow him. Um, Cause he's always doing in game uh, posting clips and, and giving good, like easy accessible analysis, right? That from that, an NBA coach, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and he showed a few possessions that the Lakers had and he sort of prefaced it with like, I'm really enjoying watching this Lakers team defend. And he then showed three different clips and sort of explained what was going on. But there was a play where Gasol was actually not in his normal quarterback position, Pete. He was up on the floor and he was at the elbow because he had gotten switched on to Jay Crowder and Chris Paul, they had run a double drag screen for Chris Paul and then Crowder is out there. Right. And so Gasol has different types of responsibilities there. Right. He has to make sure that he's close enough to be able to contest on Jay Crowder if the ball gets swung to him. But he also has to be very attentive to Chris Paul, who is out there operating on an island and and is going to try to get into the gap. And Gasol's ability to sort of like just be a massive human being while also being as smart as he is from a position standpoint, deters so many actions and shots that that is the difference, right? And and so when you talk about being able to vertically go up and challenge a shot and cause a miss either because you blocked it or just because you are in the, the view of the shot taker, right? It's just like, oh, here comes JaVale again. Here comes Dwight again. I am I am going to distract you or challenge this shot in, in a way that, that forces a miss. Gasol's rotations are the types of rotations where he is taking away your want to even shoot the shot because he is in position already where shooting a shot is not your ideal outcome. At You're not point. open. Yeah, yeah, you're like, you're just not. So that was the type of stuff that you saw from Gasol all over the floor last night. And that's a different type of defensive value. And it's much more of a team concept value than it is, I think, the pogo stick block a shot at the rim type where essentially you're now in a one on one situation and it's your job to stop or deter a shot and force a miss. Gasol is positioning himself in ways where he is deterring shot attempts entirely and forcing the ball to flow through, which is such an important part of what made the Lakers such a successful defense last year. Right. Which is scramble, scramble, scramble forcing a reset so Gasol is forcing his own resets but in his own way and that's going to be so valuable for this Lakers defense agree with all that and the other element that that really popped to me and this has been consistent for the first two games as well but Kuzma and his play and AD touched on it after the game and he said he's going to have a big year for us Frank Vogel touched on it I know that he's been working uh, with, with Mike Pemberthy um, and his shot looks cleaner. And by the way, Pete, I want you, you're, I, I always love how you break down specific the way the guys shoot 
um, and footwork and stuff. So maybe you can touch on that as well. I'm not sure if there's a subtle difference, but, you know, that's two straight games with four threes for Kuz. Uh, He's still doing all of the basket cut stuff that he started to pick up more in the postseason. He's defending. And it's making me believe more of what Frank Vogel had said earlier in practice about, hey, you know, Danny Green isn't here on the wing anymore. And we kind of talked about it too, right? That might be the spot where if somebody's not available, hey, all of a sudden you need Kuz to play 35 minutes and start potentially. And he's done that and he's done it well. So that's that's exciting. I'll table THT for now because I want to get your guys' thoughts on Kuz. Let's take a quick break. I'm so glad you brought Kuz up because if you didn't, I was going to. So let's throw it to break. And when we come back, I'll give my answer. The wait is finally over and football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria. You can contact them the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with our $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com backslash BlueWire. Offers valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Glad you brought Kuz up, Mike. Uh, He had a a quote after the game where he said that Vogel told him to, he wants him to be shooting on the move more this year. And that's something that's really stood out in these games is when, now Kuz has had enough flashes as a shooter and then crashed back to earth to where I don't trust anything right as, as a shooter yet but when Kuz is at his best and I remember this all the way back to summer league I remember him coming off of screens and be like this dude's like looks like a 6'9 Clay Thompson because it's the types of shots that he was making right and I, I really want to emphasize the difference between a standstill three and a guy who's able to make threes off of the move those are completely different shooters and completely different shots right and so the ability to hit shots off of screens with all of the gravity and all of the pressure that we have on the rim, if Kuz can do that, it is a missing piece of a puzzle that connects two different elements of his game. And it's that ability to shoot on the move when he's feeling it. Then if he's attacking closeouts, he can get all the way to the rim. He's been passing his ass off. Really? And yeah, and and his drive and kick reads have been fantastic in that respect. Much more decisive, much less like catch and hold for a beat and then like, oh, I should swing it. It's immediate. Hits his hands, move on to the next guy. Um, he's making decisions in the decision zone. When you, dr- when you attack a closeout at the free throw line, by the time you get to the free throw line, you want to have decided if you want to shoot, go all the way to the rim or kick it out to somebody. He, he's doing that without any hesitation. Big development for especially an off-ball type of player. To what you were asking, Mike, about his mechanics, he's using a lot of jump stops and his feet to go from being, that's the key part of shooting on the move. And what makes it so hard is that you have to go from moving laterally to stopping and going up straight. Because if you don't do that and you're running full speed off of a screen to your left to get a shot up, actually with the righty, that's that's a bad example. If he's on the left side of the court and runs to his right, he's got to go from moving on 
to his right to jumping straight up. If you don't do that right, you're going to continue to drift to your right. And anytime you add left to right motion to your shot mechanics, you're going to start missing in that direction. And you have to oh, you have to correct for that. So if you're drifting right, you got to aim a little bit more to the left. He's able to very quickly, and that goes into like what are the attributes of Kyle Kuzma that are elite or have the potential to be elite and it's his feet relative to his size that was that defensive video that i did right like that ability to drop his top foot and all of that that plays right into his ability to shoot going off of screens now you've got to actually make the shot up top but he gets his feet right in a way and has has been in that he's sped up his release and he's sped up an already existing uh strength of being able to get his feet in, in a good spot. So that that's what I see with, with Kuz. Darius, what are you seeing with him, you know, on, on the, let's start on the offensive end. Well, let me zoom back out for a second. Okay, please, please. In the first game, Kuzma started a power forward next to Montrez Harrell, right? And mm-hmm. in this most recent game, he started a shooting guard, Pete. So from a versatility standpoint, you're already seeing Vogel is totally comfortable slotting him two through four from an offensive role perspective and saying, we trust you to do all of the things necessary on both sides of the ball with either of these responsibilities. And those responsibilities are vastly different, right? And there is a versatility there that, Throw out production, throw out all of the great stuff that you just said. How many teams have a player that they say to themselves, hey, in any given situation, we may have you start at shooting guard or we may have you start at power forward. And at a 6'9 guy, right? There's not a lot of guys around the league who you can say that about with confidence on a team that's expected to compete at the level that the Lakers are. And so that's the first point I wanted to make about Kuz is there's an inherent trust that the coaching staff has in him to perform his role, regardless of what type of situation that he's in. In terms of the offensive stuff, Pete, I've really just loved the mix of stuff that that he's been doing, man. He's been shooting off the move. He's been hitting his spot up jumper as a weak side camper, right? He's really been cutting well. The shift to more flow offensive principles within the Lakers half court mm-hmm. sets is really going to be beneficial to Kuzma. He always cut hard to begin with, but he's like, regardless of whether or not he was going to get the ball or not, he cuts hard. And that's been a trait of his since summer league, right? His rookie season. But now he's being rewarded for it much more. I remember in like his second year, I'm just like, there's Kuz again on that cut. And it's just like, no one is getting him the ball. He's open. He's open there, but he wasn't getting the ball. Well, guess what? Marcus all is throwing him that pass. Montrezl Harrell is throwing him that pass. And the more and more that that is an open play, there's gravity in those cuts as well. There's so much to like about what Kuzma is doing that goes outside of the actual box score production that I hope, I really hope, and I know it's a lot to ask, but I really hope that fans do not get caught up in like a three for nine night for eight points from Kyle Kuzma. Because while I know that making shots is important, there's a lot he's being asked to do within a role that is shifting night to night sometimes or even quarter to quarter sometimes. And he is doing a lot of these things well with and without the ball that matters for fitting into a team that is expected to win. And there's just a lot of value there that I hope I'm glad you guys brought him up because we should be appreciating that even without the actual raw production. This is what I was trying to explain and to discuss last year about Kuz that you just hit on Darius is that what did folks expect? And I don't mean Laker fans as much. I mean, sort of some of my friends in the media, you know, that would be texting me and be like, oh, what's going on with your boy Kuzma? I'm like, nothing, dude. He's playing 20 minutes behind two All-NBA first team guys, not getting a lot of shots and is focusing more on defense. Like, what do you mean? What's up? Like this, I had so many of those conversations And now this year, he's had an expanded role in the offense in part because of guys being out, particularly LeBron and AD. And then even with LeBron and AD back, um, no Danny Green there, KCP is out. 
And guess what? Like, boom, there's Kuz. And all of a sudden his shots go from his typical like eight or nine or 10 to 15. He had, he got eight threes up. He got to the foul line three times. So that he has always been a guy that if you give him a bigger, more to eat on his plate, um, he's going to get to the veggies. He's going to get to the fruit on the side. He's not just going to eat the sandwich. Like he's got more stuff on offense. And so I, I'm in, I also think that he's improved. I think the confidence from last year has helped, but we had some of these discussions like, okay, is, is it going to be an issue that, you know, Kuz hasn't signed his contract yet and it, all that kind of stuff, all the off court stuff, the Twitter, he's not on Twitter. What is he posting on Instagram with what he's wearing? And I'm like, just, but just watch him play basketball. He's good. You're not going to get anywhere near that level of talent for that amount of money um, in a trade or something. So I would, I'm just, I'm glad that he's had this start. So that, to to almost remind us um, for anybody that forgot that there's a lot in that bag there, Pete. And uh, I I think that Frank Vogel is aware of that, and that's important too. Yeah, absolutely. His role has changed, you know, and I think that Vogel empowering him you know, in the exit interviews last season saying, Hey, we want you to shoot more off of move. Like Kuz is such a confidence player and such a rhythm player that being like, Hey, we expect you to do this. And it plays into his natural attributes in a way that uh, I, I think is really, really puts Kuz in a position to like go out and do what you are capable of doing best, but he's got to be able to knock down those jumpers. Well, all of this goes to what I think we were talking about a few pods ago, guys, which is, the gains he's made defensively allow the coaches to trust him more. And that's how he's going to be on the floor. And so I'll repeat this because I think I said this a couple pods ago in one of his first media availabilities that he had at the start of training camp, they asked him like, well, what are your goals? Right. And the first thing he mentioned was defense and if he's going to defend and he's going to be a reliable defender and he's been a reliable defender these preseason games the coach is going to play him man like Vogel is going to play him because he's showing defensive versatility particularly on the wing and there's immense value there for a player of his size to be able to defend shooting guards and small forwards he started out defensively against Devin Booker there's not going to be a tougher defensive matchup for a player like Kuz than a player like Booker, who navigates a ton of screens, is a wonderful isolation scorer, has real wiggle off of the dribble. That's a tough matchup. Booker averaged 27 points a game last year. Now, Kuz was not going to shut him down, but if the coaches trust you, trust you to go out there and say, that's your assignment. Go out there, do your job. The guys behind you are going to protect you the best way that they can. Like, that's how he's going to see more minutes. And then the offensive stuff is going to come. That's something where his defense took such strides over last season that I'm glad that his defense is still his focus because while he traversed a lot of territory and became playable through the second round and he was playable through the finals, but his defense held up, I thought through the second round of the playoffs. And then by the time we got to the Western conference, it became, there's a point where the level of basketball starts to exceed a guy's capability. And that's where you'll see guys start to like drop off at a point. And he's capable of getting to that progression, but asking him to go from a, we can't play this guy type of defender. Cause that's what he was after his first two seasons. There's no way that guy, his, in his first two seasons can defend in the play like he's a not able to stay on the floor type of guy and he took himself from being a not able to stay on the floor type of defender to a actually pretty good through the second round of the playoffs wasn't as good after that but wasn't a huge liability and that was something that that I'm glad he's still focused on that because I think he can make that next leap this year of going from the second round and tapping out there to further on what what I want to look at this differently, though, because this is the first game that we've had with close to our full complement of players. Mike said, of course, that we were out without AC, without KCP, but we had LeBron and AD, and that kind of starts to slot guys in the rotation a little more naturally than without them. What I thought was interesting was that he started and Wes Matthews did not. I thought that Matthews was going to be a guy that uh, would be in the starting lineup, and it with KCP out, with Caruso out, he still didn't end up start. They ended up going with Kuz. I'm curious, Mike, what you saw in last night's game that stood out to you from a, how is this rotation all going to fit together? whether it's Matthews or otherwise. 
I tried to put a term together and it doesn't quite work, but it's uh, satfug. So it, it referred to what you just said, Pete, about um, basically like guys that you uh, that can stay on the floor, stay on the floor guys. So oh, they, have, uh-huh. they have a lot of satfugs uh, on this team. I mean, <laughs> they've got, I think, 11 who can satfuga in the playoffs. And that is that is the standout. So rotation... I don't want to be flipping about it, but it almost doesn't matter that much. And it didn't matter that much last year. It really didn't. It didn't matter who Vogel started that much. It didn't really matter who we finished with as long as LeBron and AD and to an extent, like one of KCP or green, but it didn't matter that much because they had guys that could hold up and they couldn't get picked on that weren't going to get ISOed and abused. And I don't know another NBA team that has that, that had more last year or certainly that has more this year. And so you mentioned Matthews, he could have started and been fine. I mean, you know, he's like, that would have been fine. I think he's been pretty good defensively. I think he's still, you know, offensively, they tried to go to him in the post a few times and it wasn't really working. You know, the shots not falling yet, but, but he could have started and been fine. Uh, Markeith Morris, he could have started and been fine. You know, like there, Harold, he could start. Uh, now that's a little different. Of course, that mixes up with, with AD and having to go to the five there, but like that, that to me is what stands out about the roster and these three preseason games is that there's a lot of interchangeability and that's uh that gives these coaches a lot to work with Darius. I thought West did a really good job during that second quarter stretch that Pete mentioned. He was on the floor during a fair amount of that time, especially to close that period. I actually like what Vogel did with the rotation, giving Kuz the start, right, to get data points on what he would look like with that first group. And then to close the half, he closed with Wes and that starting group instead. And I thought he got more data points as to how that that would look. We talked about this very early in, I think, our preseason preview pod, but the idea of the early part of the season, and particularly the preseason, was going to be a really good time for Vogel to learn these guys, what they look like together. And I thought Wes looked great with that second group. Mike mentioned Wes's post-ups. That's been a part of his game since he came into the league. Wes came into the league a long time ago where post-up guards were, were more of a thing, right? Like um, that Bonzi Wells era, right? Where, where you were a big guard and you could get down there and maybe they put a smaller guy on you and you would try to score. I think Vogel... I mean, Jordan, giving, Jordan and Kobe most notably, obviously, right? It's yes, the, uh, yeah, yes of course. There was a time where, and we're all old, old enough to remember this, where the designation of small forward sort of meant that you played like a forward, but you weren't necessarily as big as the other forward, right? And so what did you do? You post up a lot. There were the Adrian Dantley's and then later on, like the Jamal Mashburns, right? Those guys who sort of ate from 18 feet and in. Now they would stretch to the three-point line at times, but no, like you were going to be an interior player and Wes has some of that in his game. The shots aren't falling, right? But Vogel has given these guys some freedom to go out and do some of the things that they're good at, which again speaks to the flexibility that that he has as a coach. Pete, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, and maybe we can transition here to THT, unless you guys want to go a little bit more on some other stuff, but Taylor Horton Tucker, so, again. Twist our arms, make us talk about THT. Yeah. Yeah. Bro, I was, this was, I almost texted you guys, like, we need to do a THT part two. Like, my only hesitation in going to THT here is that I have way more than to say about him than, but please ask, ask the question. Well, yes, let's talk to you. The thing that was interesting to me is that without Caruso and without KCP, it was THT who came in and played point guard minutes for the Lakers when Schroeder went out. So Schroeder did not mirror Anthony Davis's minutes like I sort of expected him to do as the starting point guard, right? Like I thought a good way to manage the rotation is, all right, Braun, you're going to go out halfway through the quarter the way that you normally do. All right, Schroeder, you're going to get this whole first quarter so that when we wrap around, it's going to be LeBron again at point guard. And then you slot things that way. But Vogel didn't do that. He brought in Taylor Horton Tucker with, I think, like um, a minute or like three, three and a half minutes left in the first quarter and said, hey, you've been playing point guard for us for two previous games. You're going to get some more. And 
I'm much less worried about the idea of what he does on the court. I'm going to leave some of that to you guys. The idea that I'm going to hammer this pot, I feel like, is the trust. And the idea of what the coaches are willing to put on your plate to see what you can do. And THT is rewarding them with high-level productive play. And that is intriguing to me. But tell me what you saw, Pete. So it's a matter of what do the coaches trust you to do that's especially interesting with, with him in that he began that game, especially for a good part of the first three quarters as an off ball player. We talked in the pod we did about him that he was going to have to be more in a three and D type of role. Right. And so he was setting more screens. He was running offense off of the ball and he looked very much like, I know he's not technically a rookie, but he looked not nearly as good in that role, in that off ball role. As soon as they gave that kid the ball, <laughs> guys, we cannot we can't keep him on the bench. Again, I, this could be a whole podcast. There are very few things in the Lakers sphere that kind of blindside me uh, because I'm so immersed in it. But especially with, I had, you know, several different jobs last year that I didn't have a lot of time for G League games the way that I had in previous years. And so I'd watch his highlights, but I hadn't seen much of THT in the context of a game. His on-ball skills, he's an on-ball player and he is... Have you guys noticed how many and ones he's getting? Yeah. That is a sign of, so, so like what is an and one by its nature is defense is committed a foul and a foul is something that the, at some point in the journey of basketball has been decided doing that in this situation is an unfair advantage that goes against kind of the spirit of what we're going for in this game. So the def defender by definition, when they commit a foul has done something that gives them an unfair advantage in the spirit of the rules. An and one is when, despite that advantage, the offensive player made it really not matter that much. I, I haven't counted yet. Um, I, I was going to do this. We're recording a little earlier than I expected us to. I would guess that he's got at least seven or eight and ones in these first three games. His ability on the ball, and I, I'm working on a video for him for, for the Lakers as well. Guys, we can't keep this kid on the bench. We like we ha give him six minutes to not just play, but put the ball in his hands six minutes per half in the first part of this season. He's going to make mistakes. I like look, I've been we've all been hyping him up. He's got plenty of weaknesses, right? He over penetrates. He doesn't know the right kick out to make. He doesn't have like a hard dribble pull up. He really prefers to lean back into a step back. And sometimes he erases advantage that's created by not having his momentum go forward. He's got a little bit of a floater that I've liked. Um, but so on the ball, he's got a lot to learn, but there is I tweeted this last night. I would take him offensively high in a redraft of last year's draft because his on-ball skills, his on-ball ball talent. We've had a we had three second picks overall in the draft come through here, and at this age, he's better than all of them were on the ball. Even and Russell, even Russell, and I loved Russell. Russell on the ball was he was a talented kid, and and so you're telling us right now that you would take THT where he's at right now, which is basically around the same age that Russell was when he came to the Lakers as, as a rookie, you're saying that you would take him over D'Angelo Russell. Darius, he is punking defenders like these third units, right? Which is where he's doing all of this. And that's why when he, if you elevate him to like second unit minutes in the regular season, you're going to see an increase in those turnovers, those misreads, those, all of that. He is experienced though, away from like, he's, he is punking NBA players. Well, These guys that are on third units that are, yeah, go ahead, Mike. Just the difference. I can ramp The difference between him and Russell is that his shot chart is almost all at the rim with a couple of threes sprinkled in and Russell's is all in the perimeter. Once in a while, Russell will drive. And, and so I think if you have to pick between those two, unless you're Steph Curry level or Dame Lillard level or even Harden from the perimeter, you take the guy that gets to the rim. You know, that's that's the thing that really puts pressure on the defense. And then obviously, THG has a big edge on Russell on the defensive end uh, in terms of body and competition and size and all those kind of tools. So that's that's a whole nother thing. But what what I want to just answer Pete's point about them having to find minutes for that uh, for THT. Yeah. And it's not that hard to do because with that second unit, especially, you know, Caruso is more than happy to play off the ball. 
he doesn't necessarily like he wants to grow his game there and i'd like to see him continue to develop as well and it's one of the one of the things that's been annoying about these or really the only thing that's been annoying is that he hasn't gotten a chance to really do much of that because he's he had the hip strain but you know other than potentially you know Schroeder going out earlier and you giving him more of those reps and having him run screen roll with harrell you know there is like west matthews isn't going to have the ball with that unit uh when ad is usually the one between him and lebron that's in with that unit um you know he's obviously not going to be uh handling the ball in that context kuz has now shown that he can score and get buckets in other ways so i absolutely think that they can get tht minutes uh with you know and maybe it's at the start of the second quarter and the start of the fourth quarter um where they let him operate a little bit let him work let him get into the paint you know that's i don't i don't think that's hard to do at all darius i'm really just i'm just so intrigued by him guys like he is just such an intriguing player and talent he takes long strides it's one of the reasons why he i tweeted this last night but the combination of his length from his wingspan right and then the long strides that he takes off of the dribble get him to spots on the floor quicker than what defenses are used to seeing from a player his size he ruins angles right like there's sometimes guys in football where the safety's running up the you know trying to catch up to the wide receiver or the running back up the sideline and it's like oh if i this is where i beat him to the spot right he's running diagonally and then that running back or receiver is so fast that it's like oh oh shit i like he got past that spot so he's getting past he didn't even have a left hand darius have you noticed he makes all of the his shots backhanded, his left side backhanded back, layup with a backhanded layup? Backhanded well, layup. The one, and most notably that play where he finished the reverse over Aiton, who's uh, so he's driving to his left and he I don't know it was an angle thing too, Pete. Like Aiton was trying to come over to contest. Tht just sort of shifted his body and then put his long hand up there and finished beautifully off glass. And I, I stopped, I literally, I stopped and I'm in the spectrum studio where I'm, I'm in the green room, which is off of the studio. And I've got, there's two big uh, TVs and I've got the raw feed and then I've got the TV feed. So I can, I get like an instant replay so I can watch the, I watched the, the play live. And then I was like, wait, what just happened? And then I flipped to the other TV and I had to see it again. <laughs> uh, and it was uh, that, that play was sweet. I don't know if you guys uh, agreed. Yes, absolutely. And he did that against Zubac yeah, too, right? In that first game, he had that backhand layup, same thing on the left side of the rim against Zoo. Remember when we drafted Zoo? I remember the first media day I went to. Zoo was the first player on the big roster that I that I talked to. And Z, what he was doing when I walked up to him was he was hanging on to the rim while his feet were touching the ground. So Zoo has one of the bigger standing reaches in the NBA. Right. Like he's got really long arms, especially when he raises them up. So to beat Zoo's angle, like those shots that he made around eight and that shot that he made around Zubats, not only is that usually a block shot, it's usually a fairly easy block. Right. Like there's a reason why other guys don't do that. But when you've got a guy who's got physical attributes that are so unique that and that's something that I saw a tweet where in I think the Draft Express archives, which has thousands of players in it. He's got the biggest discrepancy between his height and his wingspan slash hands of any player in their database of thousands of players. He's like 6'4 with a 7'1 wingspan. He's what, 230? So when you talk about like functionally how big you are in a basketball court, 7'1 wingspan, 230, that's a four, man. That's a power forwards type size with good length and wingspan. And you can handle the ball like that and you can change direction get this we have to get this kid's kid minutes i don't care if he averages five turnovers a game in 12 minutes develop this kid give him minutes and reps holy shit i am so blown away I, like i said i'm never blindsided by something in the lakers sphere and like i'm texting people like how come you didn't text me like to watch a full game of this guy and shout out to Dwight draft twitter he's got a lot of stands i know that are, are loving seeing him break out like this but well holy he, crap, he, man. He, so i did i did several of those g league games last year and he was doing a lot of this stuff you just you don't shake your head as much because it's in the g league yeah. and you just you, right. you you preternaturally kind of you don't dismiss it it's impressive and you know we were tweeting highlights and i was you know exclaiming stuff on the broadcast but it's all that grain of salt because, oh, yeah, it's it's like too easy to dismiss. But that's why seeing it in the Houston series was made us all turn our, our eyes a little bit like, oh, wait a second. 
He's doing this in the because round two of the playoffs is real. I mean, there you know there there are franchises that have never gotten out of round two of the playoffs like that. Oh yeah, which which franchises are that's real? And so, (laughs) you know, THT was doing that, and now we're seeing it again in the and so the preseason the first two preseason games. Some of these possessions, Pete, you mentioned Zoo. Uh, we just mentioned it, but he was he was being guarded by Kawhi and Paul George on some of these possessions. So that's and he broke him off, Mike. He had he had PG on one, like on his like leaning, and oh, I can't wait for this well, video he, that I got. I'm waiting and just oh. just the swagger and the confidence of it of not some guys see so Kawhi comes and faces up on you, and you're like, okay, pass. Pass. I don't like. I don't want to take. TFG's like, oh, cool. Let me. Let me. You're not getting the ball out of these mitts. So let me try to attack you, bro. Let me try to spin on you. Did you guys see that clip that Chris Vernon posted? Chris Vernon. He does podcast. Tony Allen. Yes, the Tony Allen clip. And yes. Tony Allen was talking about Mike, a Memphis Hustle game that he was at. Right. So Tony Allen, all first team all defense. Right. Was Kobe, Kobe loved, uh, and you guys know this uh, obviously, but in, in case any fans didn't, Kobe loved Tony Allen's defense and would would often say that he was uh, the toughest guy uh, for him to go against. So, you know, no higher praise. So Tony Allen was telling this great story on Chris Vernon's radio show about how he was watching a Memphis Hustle game against the South Bay Lakers, and you got to find the clip because I'm not going to do it justice here. But Ta is basically explaining that like. He just saw THT cooking. And at one point, he like, Tony was sort of like talking to him and just getting a feel for THT. And THT sort of like shot him a look and was just like, I don't even belong down here. And and then like next possession, buried a step back three. And it was sort of just like, oh my God. Like, And Tony Allen is explaining this, who is a great storyteller. He's just one of those guys where it's like, he's got that, that Chicago vibe to him. And, and he was just like, I, I didn't even know this kid was from Chicago. So, so then he starts to talk about how he's just like, oh, so then I'm really dapping him, dapping him up, right? Cause he's from the hometown. He went to Simeon, same high school as Derrick Rose. And so Mike, that confidence, and it's that we talked about this on the THT pod, the confidence and the understanding of what the limits of your game are. And then playing with poise to that limit. Those are things that a lot of players just don't carry naturally with them. And so one of the reasons why you want to put him in more and more difficult situations, Pete, and this speaks to your point about finding time for him, is to expand those limits that exist for him because he is showing now that the limits that are placed on him, he is totally comfortable playing to that level all of the time. So guess what? Let's raise the bar. Let's make it harder. Let's make it so that you're playing against first and second unit level NBA rotation players and say, all right, go out there and do it against those guys. And if you do it consistently more and more, which he's done this preseason, right? Even against top level guys, but it's been the preseason. All right, let's level up. Let's go to the regular season. We already saw it in the playoffs, but for like six minutes here, eight minutes there, but let's see it on a random January night, go out there and do your thing. And let's do it over and over again, because he has something. All of his mistakes or the vast majority of his mistakes are decision-making mistakes, right? Like he had a turnover where he was in the, tried to post a smaller player up, but he didn't wait for Montrez Harrell to clear out. And so the guy jabbed down on Harrell's defender. Like he, he got stripped on that. There are times where, again, he'll overpenetrate when the right decision is to pull up for that little eight to 10 foot floater or, or pull up jumper. Um, again, he doesn't have much of a left hand. He doesn't have, uh, but in a lot of instances, it doesn't matter. Um, and he doesn't have that hard dribble pull up. So there are a couple of things from a skill standpoint that need to improve. But the vast majority of what he needs to get better at is on the on just making the right decision in the right situation. And that you ha- you can't do that through anything other than experience, right? Through actually going through the reps. And you've got all these brilliant basketball minds around him who know the decisions to make. I tweeted out this clip of a pick and pop with LeBron and Mark Gasol. And Phoenix is weaking the screen, and which means that they didn't want LeBron to go right. 
And so in this instance, he didn't want him to use the screen, similar to like an ice coverage. And so they make LeBron go to his left. So the on-ball defender, I think, was Bridges on this play. His job is to not let LeBron go right. So he's not staying in front of LeBron. That's DeAndre Ayton's job in the in the drop coverage to be in what we call a contain, right? So LeBron rejects the screen and drives to his left because that's what the defense is giving him. Gets to the free throw line. That's your decision zone again, right, is where you make that decision. He spins away from the defense, passes it to Mark for open three, hits the three at the top of the key. One of the little things that happened in that video is as soon as LeBron rejects the screen, you see Mark wipe his hands on the front of his jersey because he knows that pass is coming to him. Because he has seen this weaking a screen, this particular defensive coverage, thousands of times. He knows that LeBron has two. They know exactly what's about to happen. He's like, all right, let me get my hands nice and dry for this spot up three I'm about to shoot. It's a ballet, Pete. It's, it is. It's two-man ballet. It's choreography. So that knowledge is what THT is lacking. The It's using a, a hammer when you should be using a wrench. It's uh, like, just wait half a second for traffic to clear out and then that's when your opportunity is right so he's applying he's got elite tools he's got like (laughs) i'm i'm so blown away by this kid he just doesn't know when to use everything or like kind of how it all fits together and you can't fix that with anything but minutes well we've seen this even with a player the caliber of anthony davis right and so we're not going to compare tht to anthony davis or anything like that but AD was a player over the course of the season where we talked about it a lot, right? Like where are his weaknesses still as a 27-year-old All-NBA first team, All-NBA player, an MVP candidate, a guy who was probably could have been in the conversation for finals MVP over the course of the season. He was still improving at those same exact type of reads. Where's the defense coming from? How are they trying to play me here? What is the right pass and what is the killer pass, right? In order to basically drive the stake right through the defense's heart. Like, all right, this is the thing we're giving you. This is the thing that's there though, right? And those are differences. And LeBron could teach a masterclass on finding that specific thing that the defense is only slightly giving you, but that is there. And some guys, look, some guys are so gifted that they have that from birth, right? I feel like LeBron James was that type type of guy. Magic Johnson was that type of guy. Larry Bird, right? Some of the all-time greats, they had that from the beginning. And they will operate at a level over the course of their career that other guys who just get it from experience will never reach, right? Because it's inherent to them. But a guy like AD, he's getting there simply because he is that talented and now he's getting the reps. The stuff we're talking about with THT is at a much lower level than that, but it's the same principle that applies is get him the opportunities, give him the chance to fail, to then go watch tape give him a chance to succeed and go watch tape, match those things together and then say, aha, I have it. The only thing I would note, I would note though, is he's not hurting you in his minutes, even without knowing that stuff. He's still generally a plus and he's helping. So that is what, if you were coming on and you just saw all of this talent And but you know what? It's going to take him a few years. You know, hey, we can live with a couple of minus minutes, right? With this developmental project. No, that's not the case. He's still helping you beat the other team. So that part of it, uh, to me, kind of settles the case, right? In that he's going to be able to be on the floor. Now, I know that Pete, you specifically and and Darius, we could probably go on forever about THT. The, The only other thing that I wanted to mention from the game was that if the Lakers ever need a boost, if they ever are just it's a back-to-back, maybe it's Cleveland, Detroit or something. Just put Jared Dudley in and have him keep shooting threes until one goes down and everybody's happy. Okay. Just let the three let, let the three go up, let him let them reach down to the floor, and you got a supercharged team, man. That's that's something that I think should be drawn into the Frank Vogel's playbook. Absolutely, man. The spirit of this team, uh, that's one of the every season is a new adventure. And we're have just begun embarking on the 2021 adventure. And so 
seeing those moments and kind of how they vibe together. It's a different personality than last year's team. But yeah, Dudley and Dudley is one of those guys that he's on the other end of the spectrum from a THT in that he doesn't have much physical talent anymore, but he knows exactly the right play to make. Like we can kind of treat him like a mascot sometimes. And I understand it like, oh, it's lovable Dudley. He's got, you know, kind of a dad bod and it kind of stands out in that respect. But he knows how to play basketball and he understands the principles of it in a way where he'll get out athletic however you want to say that he'll get beaten by guys in that respect but he's going to be in the right spot and do all of those things correctly that we're talking about how tht needs to learn love dudley love dudley love his spirit um love the comments from the guys after the game about him ad basically saying that it's one of like they love to watch him succeed on the court because all of the stuff he does off the court that is so valuable for them as a team and as a locker room that Dudley brings to the table. Just love to see him go out there and cook every once in a while. Speaking of cook, I just want to give a quick shout out to my boy, Quinn cook. He, you know, he got waived, right? Which I think was probably like in the moment, I'm sure it was heartbreaking for him, even though he said that, the team handled it very professionally to have him come back is great. Talk about Pete sort of treating a guy like a mascot and like as the last guy on the bench and the guy who doesn't really play the lack of Lakers depth that they've had during this preseason, right. Has thrust cook into kind of a quasi backup point guard role. He's, he's played a fair amount of minutes off ball with THT. And so he's been spotting up weak side, but he's been getting some second side action. He's been showing good pick and roll chemistry with Montrez Harrell. His jump shots been falling. He's just another guy that you could throw into the game. And I know that he's going to have his limitations defensively. And if the shots not falling and his lack of size, there's things that are going to always limit him. Right. But I just wanted to give Quig Cook a quick shout out. I thought he's played well this preseason in the amount of minutes that that he's gotten. And it's just another good guy to have around. And here's the way that I, the, I love the roster construction in the fact that you've got 11 guys, um, Satvigs, like that you can really trust that you I'll stop saying that term now. I know it's not even really that funny. Um, you've got these 11 guys. Then you've got the two vets in Cook and Dudley, who you can still put out there and they can give you something. They might hit a couple threes. They'll know where to be. Um, they're they're going to help the chemistry on the court and they're perfect off the court. And they're champions now also, which sort of, which lionizes them to an extent to get to keep doing that. So, and that's your 13. Then you've got the two young kids, right? The, the coming over from the G League. Uh, we haven't seen McKinney yet, obviously, but in uh, Antetokounmpo and Kaycock. And, you know, I, I don't know if we'll see a lot of either one of those guys, maybe a little bit more of Kaycock, but it's just such a, a nicely put together thing. And if you had a 15 spot, maybe it's one more kind of true rim protecting like JaVale McGee type big uh, that you could throw in there for different looks. Maybe that's something that they can add later in the season uh, if they see fit. But yeah, it, it, you're right. Go, Derry's going all the way down that roster. Um, it's uh, it's it's really nice. It's worked out kind of as expected, maybe even a little bit better, um, given THT's ridiculous rise. But uh, hey, it's Thursday when we're recording this pod, and Tuesday the real thing starts, and you know things look uh, look in pretty good shape. This preseason has gone about as as well as we could hope for. You know, knock on wood. Um, let's let's stay healthy. But THT breaking out um, and the new guys kind of seeing how they add different dimensions to what we have, and then seeing them incorporate. That's something on in a a pod soon. I'm curious about how Schroeder fits in to the offense, uh, especially. I'm curious about. In that starting lineup we played last night, I thought there were kind of three different styles of play represented on the court. Uh, but that's a whole nother topic that we'll get into. Got one more again against the Suns on Friday. Uh, and then again, like Mike said, we start on on Tuesday with the real thing. But really fun preseason. This is a really fun pod, guys. Thank you for that. We'll record again uh, on Sunday night for a Monday pod to do a preview for the season. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Two minutes.
Van Vleck. Van Vleck for the winner. It's on the way. Good! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Vleck with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Miss it. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. With a little tap to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.